The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Are you ready? So that last little bit is regarded as one of the most debated parts of all of Scripture and probably the most debated part of the book of Daniel. And so I'm going to clear it all up for you right now. It's going to be really, really easy. Hey, uh, if you're new, uh, my name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here at LCC and uh, have the great privilege of welcoming you today. Happy Father's Day to those who are fathers. Uh, it's great to have you. Um, it's an interesting passage to be reading on Father's Day, right? It's kind of like, why would you just pick the, the easy one? Um, the reason that we do that is just because we believe that all Scripture is profitable. All Scripture is important. It's all God's Word. And we don't want to bypass the tricky, tough bits and kind of go, well, that's We'll talk to Daniel about what he meant by that when we get there, and we'll just stick with, you know, Proverbs, be wise, O one. Oh, great, that's an easy one. Uh, no, we want to say, no, it's all important, and God, through his sovereignty and his providence, just works out what we're going to preach each week. So God knew well ahead of time that this would be the passage that we'd be in on Father's Day 2023. And because of that, God's got something to say to us, and particularly uh, about himself, I believe, That would be really, really helpful for us today. So let me give you a little bit of a recap of the story. God's people, they're in Judah and the Babylonians have come. They have basically destroyed the temple, destroyed the the walls of Jerusalem and have taken and exiled the people into Babylonia. Okay, they've been in Babylon now for about 70 years. And so there was this promise that came through the prophet of Jeremiah that this would happen because... You're not following my ways. So I'm going to allow somebody else to come and be your God. And his name will be Nebuchadnezzar. He'll take control of you and he'll do what he does. Um, And when when you're ready, after about 70 years, I'll bring you back. And you will repent, you'll confess your sin, and we will start again. And so this is kind of where we are in the book of Daniel. 70 years is up and Daniel is reading his Bible. And he is now thinking about, hey, this this is the time that God is going to fulfill his promise. Uh, who here likes to go to the beach? I mean, I already heard about one dad who likes surfing over there. So he's at, he's at the beach all the time. We've got another dad over here who just gives these kids whatever they want, even though mum says no. Um, if you like the beach and you have children, one of the things you teach your children about being safe in the water is to look at two things. They are identical things. They are called flags. And there is one flag on one side, there's another flag on another side, and if you want to be safe, secure, stay between the flags. The idea in the Christian life is that really we have two flags, and those two flags we're to keep looking at. The first flag is what God has done in the past. That's secure, so keep looking in that flag. The second flag is what he says he will do in the future. And keep looking at those two things and you will have hope, you will have safety, you will have security. And this is what we see in this particular passage. All throughout it, what we're seeing is Daniel is kind of having two aspects. He's looking back. That tells me who God is. That's what he's like. That's what he's done in the past. So I'm going to trust that. And now God's going to tell him, and here's what's to come. Does that make sense? So as Christians, this is kind of the the world we live in. We live between the two Flags, And so I want to look at basically a few things that we see through here that would help us to see that this is what Daniel is doing 
and how we can also do it. So it starts off looking at Daniel doing his devotions. Okay, so Daniel basically, it says he's reading the books. He's opened up the book. Uh, we saw the other week he, he prays three times a day. And so Daniel is just literally doing his daily devotions, whatever that looks like for him. He's currently in the book of Jeremiah and he's going through it. And as he's reading, he's like, oh, that's right. The promise said 70 years. In his mind, he starts backtracking, counting as a good Jew and kind of goes, hey, that's, that's about now. That's roughly where we are. And so what he's doing is he is reading his Bible. It says in verse 2, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, it must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And because he read that, then he prays. It is response to what God says that we pray. God's word speaks to him, he then speaks to God. Throughout Daniel's prayer, there's all of this language that basically is just other ways of speaking of the Bible. He speaks of commands, decrees, covenants, rules, laws, the voice of the Lord, excuse me, the law of Moses. He he saturates even his prayer with Bible language. Why? Because he reads the book and he knows about his God. He knows what it's like and so he talks to him. And so... I want to just start by saying that one of the most important things you can do as a Christian is just read the book. Just read it. And as you read it, here's what happens. You start finding out who God is, what he's like. Because if God has been like this 1,600 years ago and then 1,200 years ago and then 800 years ago and then 500 years ago, then all of a sudden we're going to go, well, if he's been like that through all of that history, what's he going to be like in this time of history? probably the same guy right he's probably not going to change and so if god keeps doing these things throughout history with these people who are his people then when now he's people he's probably going to keep doing those same things so as you read the book it gives you confidence to know that's what he is like that's who he is and that's not just who he is for them that's how he is for those people then and there those people then are there those people then are there those people then are there and now we are those people here and now Does that make sense? So some of us, we don't read our Bible because it's maybe hard to read. Like the book of Daniel, you read it. We're getting into some of the weird stuff. Shane's going to finish us off over the next couple of weeks. Pray for that guy. The next couple of weeks are pretty tricky. Um, But they tell us about God and what he's like. And we need to hear that. So he learns who God is. So he prays to the Lord, my God. And it says, the God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. This is the God who he prays to. He is the covenant-keeping God. He's also reminded of the covenant-keeping God's promises. God said 70 years. Now, when God says 70 years, what does that mean? 70 years. I'm a dad. I have made so many promises. I'll definitely be there for that thing and I'll definitely be there at that time. We'll definitely do this. You can definitely have that. And I've broken that promise many, many a time. God has never broken a promise. He never will break a promise because what he says happens. So Daniel, because he's read the Bible, he knows this is, this is who God is. So in 
chapter 29 of Jeremiah, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is God through the prophet Jeremiah telling them, you're going into exile, but here's what I'm telling you. This is what you can hope in. Then you will call upon me and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and I'll restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I'd sent you into exile. Daniel is reading his Bible. He's hearing this again, and he's like, God, you said, and now it's time. And so he can come to God, and he can eventually make that request. Bring us home. Bring us home home so that's daniel's devotions then we get into daniel's prayer and i think we see three things in daniel's prayer which is really really helpful for us one is he starts with adoration then he moves to confession and then he moves to petition j.i packer says this he says all right-minded praying starts with a long look godward and a deliberate lifting up of one's heart to give thanks and adoration all prayer starts with looking at god and going Wow. Blown away. Like you you are otherly. You are distinct. You are majestic. It starts with adoration. For those of you who maybe have been a Christian for a while, how does how does the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples start? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, holy, lifted up, be you. Jesus' way of teaching his disciples, here's how you start to pray to God. You get your focus on who he is. And you say, you are like this. You are big. You are transcendent. You are righteous. You are glorious. You are amazing. And I think, I don't know about you, but I think one of the reasons this is good for us is because when you move to adoration, you move away from victimization. When you move to adoration... You move away from irritation. It's really hard to remain in a state of victimization and irritation when you are glorying in something other than. Because your focus has shifted off your problem, your focus has shifted off your weakness to his bigness and his grandeur, and all of a sudden the problem is smaller. It's a beautiful thing when you just start to look at him and look at him and look at him and look at him, and all of a sudden you ain't looking at what is there tomorrow, what is there today. And I love in this passage because this is the the first time we see in the book of Daniel where God's name gets written down throughout this book in chapter 9. He says this, he says in verse 4, I prayed to the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Whenever you see that in your Bible, that means Yahweh. It's a different name for God. It's the covenant-keeping, love, connection-caring, personal God. I prayed to the God who cares. But then he also goes on and he talks about God. He says, I pray to Yahweh, my God, I make confession saying, O Lord, that's capital L, but lowercase O-R-D, that's Adonai. Okay, so this is God who is personal and caring and covenant keeping. He's a relational God. Adonai is God is powerful. God is mighty. God is the one who last week, Pastor uh, Pastor Shane uh, helpfully kind of pointed out his favorite passage in the whole book of Daniel, which is there's this war going on and God just sits on his throne and just sits. And whatever he wants happens. 
Because he is Adonai. He is powerful. He is sovereign. He is in control. So what Daniel goes is, I'm praying to that God and the one who cares. The one who's personal. One who covenants with sinful, broken human beings like you and I. That's the picture he has of God. I love that. You are the all-powerful, mighty, sovereign God who can, who sits on his throne and any dominion that comes against him is thwarted without him even lifting a finger. You're done. But you're also the personal God who cares. The personal God who actually knows what you're feeling today about Father's Day and is interested in that emotion. That God is the God in which he prays to. He says that God is righteous. So verse 7, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. Verse 14, for the Lord our God is righteous. What he's saying here is basically like you, you act in absolute right justice. And we did do wrong and your actions of pulling us into exile, they're right. That was deserved. You are a good, righteous God. You are holy. You are sinless. You are blameless. He says that his word is sure. He is the God who keeps covenant. Verse 12, he has confirmed his words. See, when God speak, speaks, he doesn't speak in potentiality. It's not a maybe. It is. So when he said, let there be light, it wasn't that there would be potential for light. When he said, let there be light, light does what it's told, it is. I wish I had this power as a father. I don't. So I speak in potentiality. Clean your room. Maybe the room gets cleaned. Maybe it doesn't. Now I'm trying to take on a bit more of the Adonai-ish of God. Some fathers are like, I don't know whether to laugh or not because I could get in trouble. Okay. He says that God is merciful. The Lord our God belongs mercy, forgiveness. He talks about God being the God who rescues. Verse 15, he's praying to the God who brought your people. Here's, here's that first flag. He brought the people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. He rescues people. That's what he did in the past. If he did that in the past, he can do that in the present because we're currently still in exile. He can rescue us. Why? Because he seems to be rescuing people all throughout history and he promises to rescue his people. So he is remembering the past, he is looking at the first flag, and he is being filled with hope. Second thing we see is confession. I had a friend of mine who for a while was coming to my parents' church. And he stopped coming to church for a while, so we followed up and we had a conversation. I said, why do you want to come to church anymore? He said, well, I just church is just really negative. And in my head, I'm like, I love church, this is awesome. I walk away from church going, this is awesome. He's like... Yeah, but you just talk about sin and stuff. You know, you kind of point out my flaws and it just, it just doesn't feel good, you know? Like, I want to walk out knowing I'm awesome. I want to walk out knowing I'm all good. I want to walk out, you know, basically what he wants is what our culture is, which is self-help and the, the lifting up and the glorification of self. And so we had a little bit of a chat and I kind of said, well, God's not trying to point out sin so that he can heap a whole lot of shame on you. And make you feel terrible. That's not the point. What God is doing is God is being a good doctor and saying, this is your current state. We need to heal that. The only way to heal that is to diagnose it properly so that you know what it is. And then come to me who cleanses you, who heals you. Right? I, I think I understand this a little bit better because 
Uh, some of you know, last year I got diagnosed with cancer. And I had a melanoma, stage two, four centimeters. So they had to cut five centimeter diameter all around me. I've got this lovely scar. Every time I take off my shirt, Carly's like, Argh. oh, she loves scars, okay? She's like all into, like, it matches all the moles and the dots I've got. And she's like, yes, okay? There's the Father's Day joke. I can do these things. Um, it's an ugly scar, but, but I had, like, I didn't know that I was sick. But just basically later that year, the elders had kind of come to me and said, hey, you're missing a lot of Sundays. We're a little bit worried. Last year, I missed seven Sundays because I was in bed sick. I don't know if you remember, Shane had to fill in a lot of times. He was so excited. I just kept getting sick, kept getting sick, didn't know why I was getting sick. Went to a doctor, got a skin check. They said, you've got a massive stage two melanoma. It's close to getting to stage three. We need to cut that thing out ASAP. Cut that thing out, stitched me up, good times. I've missed one Sunday since September last year from being sick. Do you know why? Because a doctor rightly diagnosed me, found out what the problem was. I had to acknowledge, okay, that must be real. Got it out of me and now I haven't been sick as much. That's what God is doing with sin. He's not trying to keep you sick. He doesn't want you to be sick. What he wants to say is, let me rightly diagnose the problem and then let me give you the right solution. So this is what you see all throughout the Bible. Listen to Psalm 32. This is, this is a great psalm. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. His idea is like, I knew there was stuff in here that wasn't right. I knew I wasn't totally holy. And then when I came to you, confessed my sin, you washed it away. And now I am free. It is a wonderful thing to have sinned, but to experience forgiveness. We often say here at church that the good news is only as good as the bad news is bad. So as a parent, you get the phone call. Your kid's been in an accident. School can't tell you what happened. They're on their way to hospital and your heart is like beating. You're like, what has happened? And then two hours later, you get to the hospital and you find out your kid just stubbed his toe. He just needed a bit of concrete. Eat that thing, suck it up. And you're like, the, the relief is like, oh, great. It's just that, Right. But the relief is like, oh, it's like that because you weren't sure. The bad news was like, has he been in a car accident? Is he on like life support? Like once you find out that you're like, oh my gosh. And then you hear he's all good. It's like, wait off. This is what it is like when you come to God and you go, God, I know I ain't right before you. I've seen your majesty. I've seen your transcendence and I know I don't measure up. And you come humbly before him and you go, I got some stuff. And God's like, I know you got some stuff. Now let me take it off you. Let me heal you, let me forgive you, let me give you my grace. 1 John 1, 7 and 9 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Listen to this. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. I cannot tell you what it is being like to be a pastor and sit with two people who are married and one for the first time tells the other what they've been really doing, how they've been really feeling. 
and then the other tell them the same thing and then they embrace. When that happens, you can't beat that marriage because now you know everything about me, you know everything about me and we have covenanted together and I will give you grace, I will give you mercy because we are in this and this is what it's like. It goes one way with us with the relationship with God. He is holy, we are not and he says, I know, come What went wrong in the garden is not just that they ate from the fruit of the tree, it's that they ran and hid from the one who gives grace to those who eat from the fruit of the tree. So Daniel says, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly, we have rebelled, we have turned aside, we have not listened. Your words were were proclaimed to us, we read them in the book, we haven't listened, we have not entreated the favour of the Lord, we have not obeyed your voice, we have sinned. So he does adoration, he does confession, but because he knows who he is praying to, he moves to petition. Verse 16, let your anger and your wrath turn away. Listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. Make your face shine upon your sanctuary. Incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes, see our desolations. Oh Lord, I love this. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention. Oh Lord, act. Oh Lord, do not delay. See, the only reason he can confess is because he knows the God who he's prayed adoration to. Because notice in the, in the first part, he says, to you is mercy and forgiveness. Because he's read in the book over and over and over again, people who have fallen. So if you, I don't know if you've ever read this book, but every single person's pretty bad. Like even our heroes, like David, like he's awesome. Yeah, cool. Oh, we're just going to forget the little, little moment there with Bathsheba and husband and we killed him we're just going to gloss ah abraham good guy you're just going to gloss over the fact that you pimped out your wife because you're scared and you're like oh yeah she's my sister please don't kill me hey honey you go off with the king it's like ah pretty bad guy noah oh flood that's awesome we're going to just forget about the drunkenness and the nakedness do you know what i mean like read all the stories it's like they're good people but they <laughs> got this history, man. You're like, oh, they're not quite as good as what we thought. And the point of that is because God wants to show us, hey, we're all the same in this world. We're all different. We've all got stories. We've all got stuff in our closet. And God knows it all. But God is willing to give mercy and forgiveness. And you can experience it. And I can tell you, I have experienced it. I'm going to keep experiencing it. And the more I experience it, the quicker I run to him and tell him my stuff. Because it's a beautiful feeling when you are healed and whole and free and go, yes, I messed up again, but yes, you are good again. And yes, you give mercy again. And I will keep running to you. Notice the grounds for which he requests this from God. According to your righteous acts, this is your city. This is your holy hill. We are your people, right? This is your reputation at stake. For your own sake, O Lord, in verse 17, 18, the city that is called by your name, Verse 18, but because of your great mercy, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, pay attention and act and delay not. Why? For your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. What he's saying is, is it, it was in your righteousness, it was in your great right justice that we would experience exile. But justice and righteousness are not just in the negative, they're also in the affirmity, in the affirmative. I don't know what affirmity is, but it's a new word, okay? Uh, it's in the affirmative, which is, but also, 
as you bring us back, O God, as you restore us, O God, the whole world's going to see no other God, no other kingdom has that. Where we can be like this and then we are brought out and we are back lifted up and our city gets rebuilt and our temple gets rebuilt. And everyone's like, how in the world did you go from that under ruler after ruler after ruler to that? And we could say, God, you don't have a God like this because you worship wood and it can't act. You worship like metal and iron and silver and gold. I don't know if you know about this, but those are created things which can't do anything. We worship the creator God who can do all things, even restore broken people from their desolation. Who's excited about a God who restores? Who's excited to have a God that when we hit into mess, it's not the end? Because we have a flag which tells us how he's been in the past and we've got a promise for the future which tells us he will restore we read it this morning cast your anxieties upon the lord and at the end of that it says why because he's going to restore us he will establish us he will strengthen us so yeah we're going through a mess right now yeah today's really hard but i've got hope because this is the god i have and i can come to him with my stuff this is beautiful parents if i can encourage you today fathers if i can encourage you today teach your kids that they can do this teach them that they can come to you with anything and you will help restore them not shame them restore them strengthen them build them up it might require some some discussions about reality and truth but hey i'm with you because this is what god is like and then lastly we get to god's response how does god respond well in essence the 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 angel gabriel comes to him and says hey while you were praying god had already sent me to come to you so daniel's praying he's on his knees he's begging god right And before he's even finished his prayer, God's already ready to respond. Do you know that that's how quickly God wants to respond to your prayers? God wants to, like, before you even finish the help prayer, God's already on his way. That's what this is. Look at it says, uh, verse 21. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I've seen in the first vision, came to me in a swift flight. He is moving fast. Verse 23. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. Like before you even finished your prayer, God sent me and I've come to tell you. This is so cool. Because part of the reason I don't pray is because I don't think God hears and I don't think God acts. So why bother? Anyone here with me? Oh, you're, all, you're all hesitant to put up your hand on that one. Even here you're like, yeah, I think that's me. Okay, that's not true. That's a lie. God hears his people's prayers. That's why you don't have to go to a priest. You have to go to someone to mediate. Jesus does that for you. And in fact, if you read the book of Hebrews, the way the way that writer of Hebrews says it is like, as you pray, not knowing what you pray, it's kind of like God fixes your prayer on the way up. The Holy Spirit does that. So when it gets to God, it's the perfect prayer. Sorry, that's helpful because I don't know what to pray right now other than help. It's not very like, it's like, and God's like, yep, fixes it on the way up. But then also look at the reason why Gabriel says God is responding to his prayer. Shane's favorite verse in the whole of Daniel is that he sits down on a throne. That's the second best line in Daniel. I'm just going to like correct him. This is the best. This is my favorite. Why? What does it say? Can you read it? For you are greatly loved. That's why. This is why God will move in your life. Not just because he's powerful, 
but because you are greatly loved. God loves you. Most of us in this room don't deeply believe that. We don't think he cares. We don't think he's interested. And what God is saying is, no, 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 Daniel. Like, remember, they've been in exile for how long? 70 years. When things are going great, we attempted to forget God. Because we don't need him anymore. We're fine. We're sufficient. When things are going bad, when you've been in exile for 70 years, you attempted to doubt God. And God is saying, I've had you the whole time. I've had my promise and I've held you and I'm bringing you home. Why? Because I'm the God who keeps his covenant and loves his people. So tomorrow, whenever you face whatever it is that is making you anxious or depressed or stressed, remember this line. God is with you for you are greatly loved. He sits on that throne that scares everybody that doesn't belong to him. But for those that are his, him sitting on the throne is like, I'm with that guy. I remember there was a time when I was at school and some boys were picking on me. And uh, like, I think I'm pretty, you know, strong and tough now. <clears throat> um, but let's just be honest, I've never been the tough guy. I've been the fast guy. I've been the talker guy. So I could talk and run, you know. Uh, but I could, I, I, there's no way I was ever going to win a fight except for when I beat up those grade fours when I was grade 10. Like I won that fight. Okay, uh, I was never strong. I was never big. And all these boys were like just coming after me. And so I'd said something and now I'm running. And I remember I ran around this corner and I came and right there was Barney. Now he didn't have his beard then. But as I said a few weeks ago, we used to call him Snapper. And there's a reason we called him Snapper, because his daughter said, what was it, he's a psycho or what? what did, he's, a, he's a bazaniac or something, she said, a maniac, right, right. So, so I'm getting chased and I came around here and then there's my brother. And so all I did is I went behind my brother and what do you think everybody else did? They went, hold up, hold up, yo. We don't want to die. We don't know what he's got. He got a shank. He got something in there. We don't know what that is. We gonna die. Now, did my brother protect me because he had a shank? <laughs> because he could, or was it because I was his brother? It was because I was his brother, and he will defend me till the day I die, because he loves me. Now. Does it go the other way? Not really, but that's because I can't. I don't have no shank. I ain't got nothing, all right? But I'll, like, I'll pray for him and stuff. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? Like a dad, a dad protects a kid in a way that somebody else doesn't. Why? Because that's my kid. I love that kid and I will die for that kid and I'll put myself in front for that kid. That is your God. You belong to him. You are his kid and he will look after you. That is the promise. And now look at what he goes to. He goes to this vision of 70 weeks, which is really easy to understand. So let me just give you Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg said this. He said, in what follows, I reserve the right to change my mind later this evening and as often as necessary for the rest of my life until I finally settle the matter. 
What I'm about to now unfold for you will annoy some, disappoint others, confuse many, and perhaps encourage a few. So I want to do this really, really quickly because I think actually this, this next part is like beautiful. If we can just get it. Now, we are in apocalyptic literature of which there are prophecies. And within apocalyptic literature, essentially, it's a genre which makes it hard to determine what is literal, what is figurative, what is literary. Okay, so I've got a picture here for you. If we can go to the next slide. Often, no, go back. Yeah, okay. The way that apocalyptic literature, particularly prophecies works, is there's multiple horizons. So you can't tell how far away one mountain is from the other because we're so far away from it. So a lot of times they're prophesying things and they're not really sure. That Daniel particularly has no idea. And even now scholars are like, we're not sure whether it's this horizon that's fulfilled or that horizon that's fulfilled or is it partly fulfilled here, partly fulfilled there. And at the end of the day, it's all going to be fulfilled. Okay, that's really, really important because what I'm about to tell you is like it could be, it might not be, we don't really know. But we don't want to miss the main point. Okay. So Daniel is petitioning God. He's looking at the back and then past. He's going, there's my flag. He comes to God. He says, God, it's 70 years. Time's up. Now I'm doing the repenting part that you said, if we would do this, you'd bring us home. So now I've confessed on behalf of myself and all of our people. You're going to bring us home. And God's response is, yes, I'm bringing you home as I promised, but it's not quite exactly as you thought it would be fulfilled. There's still another 77s. Another 70 by seven means 70 by seven years. So it's, it'll be fulfilled in about 490 years, Daniel. Oh, what a crushing. That would have been it's like, you said 70. Now we're at 490. Uh, I've got a son who hates it when I say something and I slightly change it. But you said exactly this. It must be this. So he says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. So the question becomes, like, are these literal 70 is this a literal 490 years? Is it figurative? Which one is figurative and not? So I'm going to walk you through really, really quickly, if we can go to the next slide with the chart, the potential of what these weeks could be. Because now he breaks down what these 70 by 7s are, okay? The, the, the idea of 70 weeks or 70 sevens is about 490 years will occur, right? And so in stage one, he says there's going to be seven sevens. And in this, he says, this will be known by two major things, the restoring of the building of Jerusalem and an anointed one, a prince, will come. Okay? So we're going to go back from exile. You're going to come back. And there's going to be a period of about 49 years where you are going to start rebuilding the walls and rebuilding Jerusalem. And then there will be some type of prince, some type of anointed one. Now, we're not sure. Is this Joshua, the high priest, who kind of gets things going in the temple? Is it Zerubbabel? Is he the one who kind of initiates some of this rebuilding? We don't really know. Stage two, it says... It shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. Now, stage two, he says, there are these 62 times seven. So that's 434 years of time. And so what we do know from history, if you read particularly the book of Nehemiah, they start rebuilding the walls. But even the people who are rebuilding the walls have kind of got like one, like a hammer in one hand, like doing the work. And they've got a spear in another because it's filled with troubled times. Everyone's attacking them as they're trying to rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. It's not easy. And so there's going to be this period of 434 years where this is not going to be easy. It's not going to be as you thought. 
We also know that when the temple does get rebuilt, the people are like, this does not match the original glory of the temple. We know that by the time we get to Jesus, they're not fully restored. They're still under the Roman Empire. So there's this period of time where things are going to happen, but it's not going to be exactly how you wanted it to be. But you're back, but it's not fully back. Stage three is like after the 483 years, which is those two put together, there's going to be some type of time gap. And there's this anointed one who shall come and be cut off and shall have nothing. This word cut off is this picture of a violent death by someone who's laying down a sacrifice for another. And then the sanctuary and city will at some point be destroyed. We know that in AD 70, the temple gets destroyed again. The Romans come in, Titus comes in, destroys the temple again. And then the last one is there's like this last seven years where one will make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offerings. So the question becomes, is this literal, figurative? We don't know, but I've got a few options here if it's literal. So if the start date is from when Daniel is writing this, it would be 538 BC. Then the seven sevens, the 49 years, would be 489 BC. Then stage two would be 55 BC. However, as you can see on the screen, if it's based on Artaxerxes' first decree to Ezra, which is the first time we see the actual language of rebuilding, that happens in 458 BC. And now this, I'm kind of going to lay my cards. I think this is the one it's talking about. The 49 years brings us to 409 BC, where if we study history, that's actually a huge, significant moment in the temple's reconstruction. Then if we go 434 years past that, now we get to 26 AD, which is when most scholars believe Jesus actually got baptized, which is the beginning of his entrance into earthly ministry. And so if this is literal years, it's falling pretty close to the person who it's about to talk about, who will be an anointed one, who will be cut off and shall have nothing. Cut off a violent death of a sacrificial victim. I'm going to leave that on there. You can take a photo of that. I won't go through the others just for the sake of time. But if this is a literal amount of years, it falls very, very closely to the life of Jesus, very, very closely to to what he did on the cross. And what I want to do now is go back to before verse 25 and 26, what what the angel said to him. Listen to this. Verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. And here are six things that will happen at the end of this to finish the transgression to put an end to sin to atone for iniquity to bring in an everlasting righteousness to seal both vision and profit that is to fulfill all the law all the prophets will be completely fulfilled and to anoint the most holy place this is a picture of a new heavens and a new earth will be restored What I think, and it's definitely right and Shane won't correct me next week, I think it's probably a mixture of some literal and some figurative, but the ultimate point is it's clearly pointing to Jesus, this anointed one, this Messiah who would come and would be killed, cut off, sacrificial death for the sake of others, and he would deal with iniquities, and he will deal and atone for sin. 
And he will bring an everlasting righteousness into this world. And he will seal vision and prophet. We, we read the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where he is fulfilling and fulfilling and fulfilling and fulfilling all this stuff from the Old Testament. In Jesus' last seven days, he fulfills over 200 individual prophecies that could not be filled by one person when you have the Roman Empire against him, the Jewish people against him, and it is all fulfilled in one person in seven days. Why? Because God said it would be. And he is sovereign and he is in charge and he rules the earth and it doesn't matter what powers come against him, nothing can stop him from actually rescuing his people. And now you and I in exile are his people who he has promised to promised to what's the word? Rescue and, and reconcile. All of that in one word of whatever that was, okay? This is the promise. And so we are in this sense of like we can see we've kind of hit one part of the horizon and there's another still even to come when he comes back and he will make all things new. And guess what? For those who have repented of their sins, those who have adored him, confessed to him and requested from him, he will bring us home. God is the powerful God who can and sits on that throne and nothing can thwart him. And God is the personal God who cares for you a greatly loved church. And if there is a message we needed to hear on Father's Day, it's that Daddy, God our Father, has it. He loves you. He's got you. Amen? The band come up. Let us pray. And let us sing to our great God. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, even a complicated book like Daniel where there's like all these cool historical stories and then there's these apocalyptic dreams and visions. God, we thank you that we have it. We thank you that you preserved it for us and I thank you that you help us to understand it. And Lord, wherever we might land, even on the, the literary versus literal stuff of this, this vision, this prophetic word given to Daniel, God, we know that it is ultimately pointing to the true reality, to the literal fact that Jesus historically came. The anointed one, the Messiah came and you went to a cross and you were cut off. You were abandoned and you took our sin and you bore it as the sacrificial one being cut off. God, now we can freely come to you and confess Yes, we deserved exile. We deserve to be cut off. But you, God, are gracious and merciful and kind and loving. And you have invited us to come and confess our sin to you freely and go, yes, we are in need of forgiveness and mercy. And God, we get to receive that from you and be cleansed of all unrighteousness, to know and experience and feel what it's like to be made right with God, to know that there's nothing standing between you and us anymore. It has been done. It has been dealt with. The true sacrifice has been made once and for all for us. And now we can know you as our Father loves us and has adopted us as your children and you are not like us earthly fathers you are perfect you never break your promises you never discipline out of anger and emotion 
you never stop loving. You never stop loving us. Father, we thank you. And we pray that you would help us to believe that, that we are your kids, saved by your grace, secure in your arms forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, why don't we stand? Why don't we sing to our great God? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others. But please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.